I've got one of those parties that ends in carnage. I've got things that didn't happen. <laughs> Wait, are you cheating? Hello there, and welcome to Date Fight. It's the podcast where we take great moments from history and pitch them against each other. He's Jake Yap, I'm Nat Tapley, and together we will be trawling the historical ocean bed for two oysters and then prizing them open to find which contain pearls. While at the same time decimating coral and other marine life. Oh yes, that's the best bit. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take you back to the 5th of January 1953 and the first performance of Waiting for Godot. One of the actors, Peter Ball, recalled it as follows. Waves of hostility came whirling over the footlights and the mass exodus, which was to form such a feature of the run of the piece, started soon after the curtain had risen. I'm just remembering Edinburgh. (laughs) The audible groans were also fair derisory. The curtain fell to mild applause. We took a scant three call three curtain calls for that. We took a scant three calls, and a depression and sense of anticlimax descended on us all. I mean, that's Peter Ball who played Pozzo. I think the fact that you got three curtain calls out of it really suggests a lack of self awareness at that point. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the fact that you're still milking it. I mean, if, if surely if you're feeling that, you'd be like, just get off the stage and start the car. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> The fact they were uh, there's an exodus, audible groans of hostility, uh, waves of sorry waves of hostility and audible groans suggests you don't deserve three curtain calls. That's extraordinary. <laughs> I love the idea. You're in rehearsals and stuff. It's like okay, let's rehearse the bows, guys, <laughs> and you know the all walking on, holding hands, and bow, take the lead think, from me. I think they're doing it individually, like in a panto. Uh, that's a great idea. Anyway, That's superb. That, that was the first performance of Waiting for God. I love that. <laughs> what have you got for today? I've got Amy Johnson. So this is the 5th of January 1941. It's mm. very sad, uh, I'm afraid. Oh. She was the first woman to fly solo from London to Australia, um, but not on that flight, a different flight. She had to bail out of her plane over the River Thames, in fact, over the estuary, and is presumed dead on this day. Uh, so she's from Hull. I didn't know that. And she was introduced to flying as a hobby and she became the first British woman to get a ground engineer's licence. And she got a pilot's licence at the London Aeroplane Club. (laughs) The London Aeroplane Club. For aeronauts of all abilities. Because it was all fields then. Any aeronaut from five to 95. Yes, Yes. Yes, we'll take off in those fields just south of Piccadilly. In 1930, she became the first aviatrix, if you will, uh, to fly from London, specifically Croydon, on the 5th of May uh, and land in Australia, in Darwin, on the 24th of May, Mm. after 11,000 miles of flying. That's incredible. Uh, And you can see her plane. It's in the Science Museum in London. Hmm. But not presumably the one she had in the last flight where she went missing. No, not so much. Uh, So she was actually, during the Second World War, uh, part of the Air Transport Auxiliary. So what they did was Mm. they were the people that flew the planes to the aerodromes for for men to go and fly into combat. 
She became first officer and she was flying a plane from Prestwick via Blackpool to RAF Kidlington near Oxford. And she went off course. It was terrible weather on the 5th of January 1941. And she had to bail. She was out of fuel as her aircraft crashed into the Thames estuary near Hearn Bay. Uh, And there was a convoy who spotted her and they saw her. It's really awful. Uh, calling for help and they were trying to get to her the sea was really terrible and snow was falling and it was all ghastly and a guy called lieutenant commander walter fletcher dived in to try and save her um but he couldn't save her and then they pulled him out and he was unconscious and he died a few days later it's all very horrible Mm. she's an amazing woman though she was an exceptional pioneering woman who you know Amazing. Did amazing things. Well, let's go to the birthdays. Happy birthday to Zebulon Pike, who I've included only because his name is Zebulon Pike. He was an American explorer, born in 1779, and it's after him that Pike's Peak in Colorado is named, uh, which he attempted to climb. Also, happy birthday to Richard of Cornwall, who is the second son of King John, who was made Sheriff of Berkshire at the age of eight. When he was 16, he was given Cornwall as a birthday present. He later went on the Baron's Crusade, was made Count of Poitou and King of Germany. Um, He was succeeded as King of Germany by Rudolf I, the first Habsburg King of Germany. The first... Habsburg, Holy Roman Emperor. So, happy birthday to you, Richard of Cornwall, who was given Cornwall on his 16th birthday, because you can just give people counties as birthday presents. That's how it works. Also, happy birthday to Blessed Gaspar de Bono, a 15th century monk um, who had a terrible stammer. He was from a poor family of weavers, and I've included him mainly because of the link he has to the death days. But happy birthday to you, Blessed Gaspar de Bono. Happy death day to Thomas Bopp, the co-discoverer of the Halley Bopp Comet. Also to Bernie Sandler. She became known as the godmother of Title IX, which extended America's anti-discrimination laws into educational organisations in 1972. Also happy death day to Sonny Bono, who is no relation to Blessed Gaspar de Bono, but the fact they had the same name meant that I thought I should include Sonny Bono, who died on a skiing accident and also sang I Got You Babe with Cher. Those are the death days. That was good. That sounded like a travel report. On the A40, we've got uh, a dead saint. Yeah. <laughs> Over to you for the news and travel. Uh, we've got a, a snarl up round Sonny Bono. Lovely. Uh, I haven't been invited to one of those. If at all possible, avoid Richard of Cornwall. He is completely backed up. Round two. I've got the 5th of January, 1919. Ooh. And the foundation in Munich of the German Workers' Party. Ah, yes. This is a very short-lived political party mm. established in Weimar, Germany, after yeah. World War One. Yeah. Uh, now, they only lasted uh, about a year and two months yeah. before they sort of got renamed. I mean, imagine yes. having some kind of short-lived political party that gives rise to all kinds of awfulness just a few years later, Nat. Yes, I imagine that, yes. Uh, what what did they rename this party, this short-lived party? Well, thank you very much for asking. It was called the National Socialist German Workers' mm. Party in 1920. I see, I see, mm. yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Did it have any famous members? Uh, b- 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 Anton Drexler 
Is that the one you were thinking of? Oh, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, the Strasser brothers. Yeah. Gustav and Otto. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Yeah. Adolf Hitler. Um, Hitler nuts. Oh, yes. Hitler nuts yeah. will know this story well. I'm, I'm not so much of a Hitler mm. nut. I didn't know that he, he was basically, <laughs> he was still in the army. And yes, uh, he didn't really have any career prospects. So he was like, I want to stay in the army mm-hmm. as long as I can get away with it. So he joined the intelligence corps. Yes. And he was asked to infiltrate the German Workers' Party. Yes. So he went there yep. sort of in secret. As a spy. Yeah. But then mm. was like, oh, I love this. But one of those creepy police spies who joined Greenpeace in the 80s and then slept with everyone. Yeah. He really got into it and in the end got yeah. voted as, as the new leader. Yeah. He was notified by postcard. Dear Adolf, I mean, wonderful news. <laughs> it grew exponentially. Uh, he had a meeting of 2,000 people the next yeah. year, uh, all in pubs. It was all in pubs. Mm. And, yeah, so it, it lasted one year, the German Workers' Party, before it became the Nazi Party. Yeah. I mean, to me, it did that once it had been taken over by him. Didn't it? I mean, it's not much of an infiltration. If I suppose it is. If you infiltrate a party, change its name and what it stands for and take it over and do what you want with it, it's... Mm. That's, I suppose that's a, quite a good foil for... Yeah. I mean, he was he was still on the uh, army payroll for quite a lot of that. So by the time, by 1923, when he's when you have the beer hall purchase, he's still, presumably he can't be still being paid by the army then. Because actually doing a revolution whilst on the army payroll, that, that seems Yeah, I wonder much. at what point he thought, this isn't ethical. This to isn't ethical. To take the ethical. taxpayer dollar. <laughs> Oh, I can't have this on my conscience. Oh, I'll have to send the money back. <laughs> He's sitting out with his expenses form going, well, I mean, the mileage is difficult to work out because although I did drive, it was the price was different in Munich. From in, oh, I'll tell you what, just call it 40. So, uh, yeah, that's my one. It's full of chuckles. Lovely. Well, I'm going to take you to the 5th of January 2010. It's a much happier story because it's President Barack Obama verifying that although it wouldn't close on schedule, Guantanamo Bay would be closed. Oh. It remains open to this day. Ah. Yeah. He said, <laughs> Don't, we are going to miss the 22nd of January deadline to close our base in Guantanamo Bay, but don't worry, on this day, 5th of January 2010, I will verify that it will get closed. It is still open to this day. I mean, there, there were some... I mean, it, it wasn't wasn't all solid gold, was it? No, I don't think so. I, I think we tend to look back with somewhat rose-tinted spectacles at the 2000s. Yeah. In that I find people going, oh, even George W. Bush doesn't seem that bad yet, really. Yeah. He was quite bad. Then again, when you look at where we are now... <laughs> We're probably killing fewer people around the world in... Are we? Are we? Wars. And spuriously started... I mean, the Russians are killing just as many. They, they've sort of taken up the slack. Yeah. The Americans have left off. The, it's nice uh, the that there's a really sort of concerted up. effort to make sure as many innocent people as possible are being... Oh, yeah. I mean, we wouldn't want to let the side down there. We don't want to, you know, start backsliding no, into peace. Good. What a jolly... <laughs> Another jolly day on Day Fight. Horrendous. <laughs> what happened to all the funny, saucy, novelty things? We'll I'm sure we'll find day. some for tomorrow. Yes. Are we starting to... Are we going to start uh, judging each other again tomorrow, probably? I don't know. 
What do you think? Maybe we could ask people. Know. Let's ask people. I'll tell you what, we'll, give, we'll have a, a week's armistice ongoing whilst we get answers from people as to whether or not they want the manufactured drama of the competition. That sounds good. Tell us on Twitter, at date underscore fights. Do you want us to compete for your love, or do you just want to bathe in a warm bath of affection? That's affection, not infection. I'd also ask you to look at the cost-benefit analysis of it in terms of how much work it is for us versus how enjoyable it is for you. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry to throw that one in there, but it is quite a lot of hard work setting up the video and doing all of that. Just saying. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it. Thank you for your continuing ear-based patronage. Yes. Our podcast rolls on tomorrow. I hope you'll join us then. If you haven't subscribed, why don't you have a go at that? Because then you don't have to keep finding it all the time. It'll just be there, part of your phone's furniture. See you tomorrow, gang. We will see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye.